environmental conversations on creative art, scholarship, and teaching. This, This is EcoCast. Hello and welcome to EcoCast, the official podcast of the Association for the Study of Literature and Environment. I'm Gemma Deer, and I'm Brandon Gall. So today's guest is Yuna Chowdhury. Uh, Yuna is collegiate professor and professor of English drama and environmental studies at New York University, and the director of NYU's Experimental Humanities and Social Engagement Program. Her current research, teaching, and creative projects explore what she calls ecospheric consciousness, that is, ideas, feelings, and practices that attend to the multi-species and geophysical contexts of human lives. Yuna is a pioneer in the fields of eco-theatre and eco-criticism, helping to launch both these fields when she guest edited a special issue of Yale's Theatre Journal on theatre and ecology in 1994. She participates in collaborative art and research projects, including the think tank Climate Lens and the multi-platform project Dear Climate, which has been exhibited in various locations in the US and Europe and currently has an installation at Appalachian State University. Yuna was born and raised in the Himalayas and has lived in Manhattan for the past 40 years. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. So we we were talking a little bit as we were we were getting going, but how have okay. you been holding up through through all this pandemic? So especially living in a city like Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's been strange, but you know I'm holding up the way we all are. Um, you know, ups and downs. The times when it's just terrifying and unbelievable, and then there are other times when it feels quite doable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm lucky to be uh, to live right next to a beautiful, beautiful park, Riverside Park. And so at least I have a place to go every day uh, when I'm not too lazy. And, uh, <laughs> and when and, it's not uh, too hot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, which has, uh, has been the case recently. It has been too hot. But yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Thank you. How are you both doing? I'm, yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't have the luxury of big city life, maybe, but uh, we're, we're holding up here in, in central Kansas. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm... I'm doing very well in Boston, you know. I I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones, you know. I have a mm -hmm. a nice safe place to live and and a steady income, so you exactly. know. Yeah. Yeah. Um nothing too much to complain of really. <laughs> Got it. Agree. Yes. All right. Well, I guess let's go ahead and and kind of get into it then. Gemma, do you want to start us off with root words? Yeah, so inspired by Yuna's work in theatre, today's root word is scene. Um, so though this word originated in the world of Greek drama to designate the setting for a play or the divisions between units of action, it has come to have a much broader set of meanings. We now use it to refer to the visual experience of landscape or place more generally. Picture the scene, we say, when we want someone to imagine a place we're about to describe. We might talk of a beautiful scene or of scenes of horror. We also use it to refer to melodramatic behaviour when we say that someone is making a scene. It can refer to a particular sphere of interest, as when we talk about the music scene of a town or city, or scenes of domestic bliss. We might talk of police officers arriving on the scene, meaning a place where something significant has happened. Or we might say that's not my scene, to mean that we're not interested in something. 
This proliferation of senses of the word scene into our day-to-day -day language gives weight to Shakespeare's notion that all the world's a stage. And certainly it can be difficult sometimes to distinguish between performance and real action. When, for example, a government promises to act on climate change, do they mean they will take action? Or merely that they will engage in a performance and act as if they are tackling the problem? But let's get back to the scene at hand. Where does the word scene come from? It's a Latinization of the ancient Greek word skene, meaning tent or booth, so it referred to the stage building or material backdrop of a play. This word in turn comes from the same Indo-European base as the Greek skia, meaning shadow, having originally referred to a cloth hung between trees to provide shade. So this word really marks the origins of theatre as an outdoor activity, one that had to reckon with the elements, much as we are having to do as we deal with the weird weather and transforming world of climate change. The scene was also always a change of scene, transforming the real setting of the theatre into the fictional setting of the play. And I suppose that we might think about the transformations of climates and ecosystems as a change of scene on a planetary level. In a 2015 article titled Anthropocene's Theatre and Climate Change, Una made the name of our new geological epoch, the Anthropocene, a little more theatrical by transforming the scene of the geological era into the scenes of the theatre. This neologism raises all sorts of interesting questions. What does it mean to arrive on the scene of climate change? Are some of us humans making a scene, geologically or meteorologically? What sort of scenes might we expect to see in the next few centuries as the effects of global heating transform the planet? Will the Anthropocene play out in generative and riotous comedy or in the dark inevitability of tragedy? Perhaps we'll get to thinking about some of these questions in the following conversation. Um, but to start us off, Yuna, could you say a little bit more about your notion of Anthropocenes and your idea about the relationship between theatre and questions of ecology? Sure. Firstly, Gemma, that was just so wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed um, the, the rich kind of evocation of, you know, what's possible to think uh, with that word. And so much of it is um, has been really a thread throughout my career, throughout my work. Um, it reminded me, actually, that the very first article I wrote about this topic, uh, which was in that journal you mentioned, Yale Theatre, in a special issue on theatre and ecology, the, the article was called, um, There Must Be a Lot of Fish in That Lake Towards mm -hmm. a Theatre Towards a Theatre Ecology. And uh, that title um, refers to, is, is a quotation of a line from Chekhov's play, The Seagull, in which a group of people have watched a play that was uh, staged outdoors on the uh, shores of a lake, a lake on their property. These are, you know, Chekhovian aristocrats. And uh, uh, one of them, who's not particularly interested in theater, but has had to sit through this kind of god-awful um, uh, uh, play, um, symbolist play, makes this comment to the actor, the woman who is uh, acting in the play, and says, um, "You were so, so, so good, and the scenery was wonderful." And then he sort of breaks off and says, "There must be a lot of fish in that lake." 
So uh, my, my whole point of departure for thinking about theater and ecology was this, um, the ways in which our art form theater has been complicit in getting all of us to think about uh, nature as mere scenery as the background, the, the backdrop. So yeah, I've been interested in, in partnering with that part of the theater tradition, the dramatic tradition that, ha that has been interested in the more than human, in the kind of larger context of human lives. And that hasn't um, uh, felt that we have to restrict our dramatic interest to the psychological or the sociological, but that we can actually be very interested in the biological and geological dimensions of our existence, um, you know, as as humans. Um, so with with the, the, that coinage of Anthropocenes, I was in a way returning to this idea um, and wanting to to really repropose the possibility that theatre is uh, remarkably well suited to um, uh, to helping us make the connection that we now need to make, uh, which is, you know, this famous thing we have in uh, climate change discourse about scale, the difficulty of um, of uh, connecting the dots between the individual experience and, and story and biography and these larger, um, uh, you know, uh, geophysical uh, events that are occurring. Um, which are caused by us in a sense, but not necessarily by us as individuals, but by us in concert, which is the whole concept of the Anthropocene. So um, my, uh, my proposal has been that uh, theater, which is so um, uh, interested in it, so well connected to the individual story. So my thought there was uh, uh, also related to an idea that's been very influential for me, uh, which was articulated, um, I think, best by Amitav Ghosh in his, uh, you know, recent really important book, *The Great Derangement*, in which he talks about modernity, the last three or four hundred years, as this kind of madness, uh, and a madness that's characterized primarily by a forgetting that uh, so much of what we as a species knew about our lives uh, and the fact that they are intimately connected with the lives of other species, <clears throat> landscapes, and uh, phenomena, uh, that somehow through a sequence of, um, or a, just a, a series of operations that modernity has performed, we have been persuaded to forget that, forget all that knowledge, and to begin to live as if we live on Mars or in a machine as if we don't live here at all. Um, so um, the, the task then becomes not just to, uh, you know, uh, start thinking in new ways, but also to really try to understand how we forgot. What were those, um, uh, those uh, mechanisms or modes of uh, thought and feeling, uh, those basically ideological operations that, uh, assisted us in this madness, that helped us go mad. And I think that theater is, um, you know, uh, dramatic texts and theater in general have a kind of palimpsestic quality, 
the things are layered onto each other. It's a very dense, the, the art form has a potential of great density because it works with, with reality, it works with time and space and bodies and sounds, and all those things. And so it's, um, it's very well suited to um, revealing layers of information and layers of reality. A lot of you know, traditional well-made plays are constructed you know, like an onion with layers coming off. Um, so that, that was one of the ideas that led me to you know, really want, want to um, locate uh, theater at the center um, of anthropocenic uh, theorizing. Mm-hmm. And can I ask what what actually originally got you got you into theatre? Was it something that you sort of you started being interested in as a as an audience member before it became your scholarly pursuit, or what's the story there? Yes, it was actually uh, my interest. I think originated in um, the uh, methodology I was exploring when I did my dissertation which was very uh, hot and popular at the time, very trendy in academia uh, at the time, and that was semiotics. And I was interested in semiotics, in particular in the field of semiotics that concentrates on space. I wanted to think about how, which is called proxemics, and I wanted to think about how um, you know, space signifies in theater. So, so I was thinking about space and uh, at first, it was just you know very literal uh, considerations of stage space. It was uh, from that interest in stage space that I began to be interested in cultural space and in discourses of place, um, which again was a was a topic of very keen theoretical interest at the time. Um, you know, uh, Edward Said had um, something he called traveling theory, and it was the um, notions of uh, location, displacement, discourses of exile, refugeehood, belonging, home, all that whole kind of range of um, uh, themes and interests um, drew me to them. And I began to look at that in relation to modern drama, uh, which is what I was writing about. And from that, it was uh, really not a very big step to start thinking about um, you know, space and place in the world, um, you know, which immediately made me uh, look up, look out. Um, I recently published an article called uh, Breaking the Fifth Wall, in which I talk about climate change theater as a theater that looks up, you know, yeah. that tries to break that boundary that we all the nations share, which is the boundary with the atmosphere, yeah. um, and to, and to uh, begin to see in this wider way, uh, the wider framing of the human story yeah that's great and that's uh so that while Gemma was kind of going through the root words thing and thinking about this idea of scenes uh that reminded me uh, and I cannot remember the the person's name at this point but um it was somebody who I had used uh for some of my stuff not I don't think I used them in my dissertation but certainly in just some papers and in, in, in grad school and stuff um but he talks about it's 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 like the the ways that we see um, and particularly the ways that everything is is for the most part framed for us. So whether ways we're, of seeing, yeah, yeah, that's John Berger. Yeah, and we're we're kind of looking out a window, whether it's in our cars or right, we're never seeing that 
above below we're seeing exactly what's in there and and so that's just really interesting with me and thinking about you know the theater in particular your you know your idea of eco theater and and how we that's still it's still framed for us but it's you know it it's similar but different in terms of yes we're still just seeing a portion of that that whole thing but there's depth to it that we don't get in you know maybe film or images or things like that because we're there in that space and we can see how that stuff fits together a little bit better yeah it, that's that's a really complex history that history of how we've uh, tried to represent uh different kinds of space and the fact that you know for, for a long time the theater included um had the ambition of representing you know, outdoor spaces, divine spaces, you know, it had gods and uh, nymphs and uh, all kinds of fan fantasy landscapes and all were all included in uh, uh, classical theater. And then it was only with, with you know, probably 18th century onwards with the um, development of uh, domestic drama, realism, modern drama, that, you know, those walls, those four walls began to close in. Um, and then since then, there's been, in the course of the 20th century, all kinds of efforts to displace those walls, to break them down. Um, probably the most famous one was what was called environmental theater, although it wasn't really environmental in our sense, but it's the kind of theater practice that's associated with Richard Schechner, and it's, a, it's about um, theater that's what we might call immersive theater now, where the action go goes on all around you, all around the spectator. Um, associated with that was also site-specific theater, which is theater that uh, you know leaves the traditional uh, theater space and and uh, selects another place uh, to um, engage with. Yeah. So on that note, maybe that's a good time to ask you a little bit about uh, Dear Climate's current installation at. Appalachian State University. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, sure, absolutely. Maybe just preface that or make a, a little bridge to what I was saying earlier by saying something about the history of eco-theater in relation to this question of, of location, in particular theatrical location. So the early years of eco-theatrical practice, that's people, you know, playwrights and theater companies that wanted to think about uh, nature or the environment, ecology, and ecological problems, uh, often felt the need to leave the traditional theater and to go out into parks or into the woods or to the side of a lake. And for a long time, uh, eco-theater was associated with that gesture, this gesture of theatrical displacement. Uh, the problem with that, of course, is that it kind of reinscribes the nature culture binary and sort of locates nature as the thing that's out there, that green stuff, and keeps us, you know, quite apart and immune from it. It's, the same, it's like the same the problem of living as if we're Martians, as if, uh, instead of living as if we're on Earth, and that everywhere we are is on Earth and is natural, and everything is part of nature. Um, so there came a time when I became very committed to this idea of staging the materiality of the real in inside traditional theater spaces. And um, I did a project called uh, the, eco, the Eco Side Project, 
uh, about which I've also published a book, uh, uh, co-authored a book since then. And uh, the inspiration for that project was Jane Bennett's uh, Vibrant Matter. Mm -hmm. And it was about using that idea of vibrancy, material vibrancy, um, in, in all aspects of theater uh, expression, theater making. So it was, you know, about a play in which everything was alive. The walls were alive, the floor was alive. And, uh, it was a climate change play. And it, it was a play about uh, a woman who lives in New York and keeps complaining uh, that her walls are, are damp and she keeps, and then she uh, at some point realizes that uh, she's got Bangladesh in her closet. We call it the climate change closet. So at some point she, uh, she opens the closet door and all this mud comes, mud and crocodiles come into her, her apartment. Because that's what you can do in theater. Theater's, you know, this place where any, any kind of uh, um, reality can be bodied forth. And the reality is that Bangladesh is here. I mean, climate change is here. It's not in Bangladesh only, right? So that was the idea of that play. Um, but then uh, you asked about uh, Dear Climate, and Dear Climate has been an opportunity for me to uh, work outside of theater, essentially to do um, uh, collaborations with uh, artists from other disciplines, in particular Marina Zerko, who is a visual, visual and digital artist and a multimedia artist. Uh, and so Dear Climate has been this, this effort to just respond to whatever opportunity presents itself to us and um, create uh, installations or performances or uh, texts or, or uh, audio pieces, meditations in response to any whatever invitation we've been uh, offered. So the latest one was an invitation from um, Appalachian State University, where they commissioned us to do um, something as part of their annual Climate Stories series. It's a, just a fabulous initiative they have on this campus, uh, led by um, a couple of the faculty there, including the curator of their gallery, uh, Jenny Carlisle. And Jenny had seen Dear Climate's installation at Storm King, which was kind of our, our biggest breakout um, uh, achievement and she had loved it and so she uh, proposed us to climate stories and we got the commission and they said we could do whatever we wanted so in this case we decided to respond to the invitation of it being a university of that this this uh, artwork was going to happen on a campus and we actually proposed a campus-wide installation uh, and it's it wound up it's called Signs, Wonders, Blunders Towards an Ecospheric Curriculum. And uh, it uses, um, it's a campus-wide installation all over this beautiful uh, campus in Boone, North Carolina. Uh, and it's 13 signposts uh, that use kind of the theory and practice of wayfinding uh, to think to think about new ways of uh, producing uh, useful ecospheric knowledge. In other words, it's about how can the university itself, how can the academy itself change um, in response to uh, the climate uh, challenge, the climate uh, realities. Um, so each of the signposts has three signs, and together 
those signs are kind of playful, uh, enigmatic, um, little tiny little uh, proposals for, for um, new ways of thinking. Many of them use the titles of important recent books in climate discourse, like The Great Derangement. So, example, one of the signposts has three signs. One says Great Derangements, the other says Small Screw-Ups, and the third says Catastrophes. <laughs> There's a, another one that says uh, Larson B, you know, that's the ice shelf in, in the Antarctic. Larson B, and the second one says Great Barrier Reef, and the third one says, whatever's next. So it's things like that. And there's, there's one that's, that says uh, vibrant matter, hyper objects, stranger things. So it's engaging with uh, some of the major themes in contemporary uh, environmental, environmental humanities uh, discourse. Um, and you know the, the work that's being shaped around the thinking and writing of people like Donna Haraway and and Anna Singh and, and these uh, folks. And uh, it uh, uh, puts that, sort of mobilizes that around this campus so that the um, uh, people wandering around this campus, uh, you know, they, there are different signs there. They, they have signposts that say, you know, dining hall and science building. But then they have signposts that say small screw ups uh, or how forests think. You know, so um, so that's the uh, the idea behind this, and it's been just an enormous pleasure to work on this, to create this. Uh, Jenny um, supervised the installation. She got uh, you know just a, a right uh, kind of used wood. Um, she sourced it all really ecologically. They have a forest um, studies department there. Um, you know, forest management, I think. And after they after they deinstall this, they're going to put it up in that forest forever. They're going to move hmm. it to the yeah. That's that's really great. Um, so that that kind of leads me to wondering, hearing just a lot of the different stuff that you're talking about, whether it's it's theater in general or this particular installation, um, and and thinking about its you know. It, the academy or, 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 or schooling and, and things like that. Um, I'm wondering what kind of role do you see um, like theater and performance, or whether it's, it's these installation things or whether it's just eco theater or just general theater. Um, what role do you see that having in, in kind of getting us to think about environmental questions or challenging our, our notions of environment mm -hmm. or, or even, um, you know, pushing us to consider things that we haven't maybe considered before? Yeah, I think the thing that's happening in eco-theater right now is the same thing that's happening in eco-criticism and in environmental humanities um, in general, which is that a whole lot more is being included within this circle of our consideration than it was before. Uh, we started out really thinking of the environment, or ecology, or climate as a problem, you mm. know, and, and it was sort of narrowly focused on, um, you know, diagnosing and then addressing the problem. I think where we've moved now 
is to realize that uh, the, the problem is not the climate. The problem is anthropocentrism. Mm-hmm. The problem is the ideology uh, by which we have, uh, you know, made our world over the last three or four hundred years. Um, and just as uh, you know, as Naomi Klein's book said in the t- wonderful title about climate change, this changes everything. Well, it changes everything in the academy as well. And uh, climate isn't just about a problem, it's going to affect every aspect of our lives. How, you know, where we live, what we eat, uh, how we think, what possible, everything, right? We, people like us know this, but um, people have still had the notion that environmental or ecological art has to be this, this you know, mainly activist or um, lamenting, mourning, Mm-hmm. Guilt, guilt tripping, uh, you know, the certain kinds of affects associated with that uh, artistic uh, practice. And uh, myself and a lot of other uh, practitioners, scholars, as well as artists, are work, working very hard against that notion. And we're working to uh, have a model of environmental discourse that is all inclusive. And that's, you know, that basically says we include everything. Uh, and we include all kinds of affects. So, you know, humor, anger, uh, you know, whimsy, all uh, possibilities of expression should be, uh, should be included. Now, what that means is that we've got to get um, artists, in my case, I'm talking about theater makers, uh, to start thinking in this expansive way about human stories, to understand that human stories have this capacity for channeling big uh, concepts about, um, you know, life on Earth. So that's the that's been the um, uh, agenda of this group I've we uh, I co-created called uh, Climate Lens, and our uh, uh, our kind of um, position is that we want to think about the climate uh, not as a problem but as the one of the abiding conditions of human existence um, and as a lens with which to see uh, to understand our lives uh, you know just the way when, well, when feminism st- started it started with the problem of sexism but then very quickly it wasn't about sexism anymore it was about using gender as a lens to to diagnose and displace the patriarchy so for us, climate is a lens with which to diagnose and displace anthropocentrism, which is the, the real um, disease uh, that, that uh, you know, we feel our work should be addressing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. It reminds me, too, of, of kind of the the formation of something like critical whiteness studies, right? That it's it's not looking at necessarily the problem of racism, but it's looking at the, the ideologies that are reinforcing and creating these structures um that that do that so i think that's great to kind of uh, flip that a little bit um in some ways onto um our role in it and getting us to to consider you know what impacts we're having yeah and i think that's been the trajectory of many progressive movements you know they start out with a kind of activist focus on the problem but then they become aware of the systems that are producing mm-hmm. the problem, and then they realize that the, what they were, uh, you know, 
using was, is really not a problem, but a lens with which to understand many other things that can prove about race, certainly true of gender, disability. So um, we, we you know, believe that that's the case with uh, climate as well. Um, and I think that that's true of uh, a lot of kind of what I call ecospheric theory right now, or multi-species theory, um, which is, you know, this understanding that um, the, our interest is really in an, a completely different way of uh, identifying our subject. Mm-hmm. And kind of uh, building off that and then backtracking a little bit to, to what you were saying about um, climate lens, um, when you said you kind of about using different kinds of affect, so bringing in comedy and, and horror, um, that really struck me actually when you were describing the, the installation at Appalachian State University. So, you know, the notion of these signs that say great derangements and then what was it? Small, small something. Screw ups. Small, small screw ups. And, you know, there's, there's like a comedy and an irony there. But then there's also at the same time this kind of unsettling notion that it's it's actually very accurate signage. And so it really I, I really felt how it could be kind of working on these different levels. And I love that it's it's using those terms from theory and literally grounding them literally in the literally, earth. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and kind of, you know, we spend so much of our time as academics with our face in a book or at a computer screen reading these theories. And like, how often are we actually thinking those theories in our broader lives? And, and yeah, that it really sounds like the installation kind of does that. Um, yeah, and that's a very huge part of my current commitments, intellectual uh, and creative commitments is to um, uh, propose the idea that uh, knowledge is produced, that the, the right kind of knowledge, the kind of knowledge we need now in, the, in this age, um, is produced in different ways than the old ways. So in all my classes, I do, you know, I've just torn up the old way of doing things. And I, you know, we, we do many other kinds of activities uh, that are intended to be um, you know, to, to simply displace and defamiliarize uh, the assumptions we have. Can you, can you uh, describe that a little more, like give an example? Well, I just taught a course called the Multi-Species Lab, in which uh, the students all had to, uh, well, they collaborated in small groups and uh, made, um, made work. So and it was a three-part you know, process. The first, uh, the first project was called Umwelt, and they had to adopt a species, um, an, an individual member of a species, and do this massive uh, process of observation and of imaginatively uh, projecting themselves into the life world of that, of that species. You know, whether it was a flower, whether it was mold, you know, and, and we you know, quickly hinted and pushed them to pick really weird species and, <laughs> and, and like not do their dog. But like one of them grew, grew mold in his shower, in his bathroom and, you know, and then learned everything about mold. Uh, so that was the first. The second was about 
creating some kind of um, uh, public uh, manifestation on behalf of that species. If that species could communicate, what would it want us to know? You know, so like one of them had done algae as their species. So it was like, what does algae need us to know that we don't, that most people don't know? And so they could make, they could make things, you know, they could make flags, they could make um, maps, passports, any, all kinds of things. And then the final one was they had to make um, a, a, a public engagement that would uh, raise, uh, that would produce um, multi-species knowledge uh, with their species at the center of it. Hmm. Uh, and so they did things like board games and, uh, you know, rituals, meditations, many uh, kinds of things. And of course, all along, we were working and showing them the work of artists who do uh, use all these different media. Um, one of them did a sound walk where you, you know, you put on your headphones and, and then you go to a site and things are, they point out things to you. So, um Anything that kind of displaces our familiar notions of how to be, how to yeah. be students, how to be humans, how to be women, how to be, you know, um, that's what I'm after now in all my classes. And, uh, you know, working with Marina has been a, a huge, uh, you know, instructional thing for me, uh, just to, to work alongside an artist. So in terms of the humor stuff, like we did, uh, we were commissioned to do a Dear Climate um, installation at Rice University. And we, uh, again, you know, they said it could take any form. So we did a, uh, it was like a full female thing, like get help with your inner climate. You know, it was a, a, like an office, like a female office that you could go to. to uh, and, it, and it used uh, Dear Climate posters and you could go in there and fill out a form. And we had designed this form that, you know, asked you weird things like, where is your shelter? <laughs> you know, uh, who, uh, what is your companion species? You know, just like weird shit <laughs> um, that, would, that would put the, the visitors into some kind of uh, uh, destabilized space uh, from which then, you know, you create opportunities for them to think about our relations to the other species and to uh, the phenomena of the world. So uh, humor is definitely one of the, um, the, the most, you know, I mean, it's, de it's delight, it's whimsy, it's, it's puzzlement, it's feeling quizzical, it's being, you know, a little off, off, off uh, kilter. Those kinds of effects um, are very much what Dear Climate sponsors. And that's that's wonderful. Too. And I think that that's, um, I mean, as we're going to kind of jump into here in just just a minute, right, we have this segment on our show called uh, Ending with a Role. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a vital piece for us to remember, right, is that so and, and Gemma and I have talked about this before as well is, is a lot of times these conversations can feel so heavy and overwhelming and um depressing in some ways and so to understand that uh, i think that was great that you pointed out right that there is such a multitude of affect that it's not just 
um, if we're only focusing on that stuff, we're missing the beauty and the humor and um, you're going back to, you know, that, that word vibrancy of, of what's out there and surrounding us and and opening us up to that. So yeah, um, that that reminds me of one that I I must share with you, which was a a recent uh, project in one of my classes where a student built a website called plant hub and it was uh, basically a riff, uh, you know, um, uh, riff on Pornhub, <laughs> and it was it was a whole thing about uh, you know sexy plants and having sex with plants and having fantasies about plants. It was brilliant and was really detailed and had lots of information, but also all kinds of bizarre stuff, you know. And uh, when the student presented that, I, I just looked at my co-teacher and I said, "Our work is done." Yeah, and it's and that's the thing. It's like it's engaging them too, um, in in new ways and getting them excited about yeah. it, rather than it yeah. just being this problem that in some ways is being you know hoisted upon their shoulders to deal yeah. with. Yeah, so unfairly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess then it's time to move on to um, our our little fun segment called "Ending with a Roll." So I've got a twelve sided die here, and I remembered to bring it today. So you should hear the nice little clickety clack. Uh, and so we've got 12 possible questions and, and we'll, we'll ask you the one that comes up. So we have exciting number two. Uh, so well, this is, this is like two number twos in a row, I think for us, but what's an outdoor space that's important to you? Oh, well, I don't have a really interesting answer to this, but, uh, the truthful answer is that any garden with flowers Hmm. I adore. I just love flowers. So even if it's a little, you know, in New, in New York, they have these little things around the trees on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. I don't know what those are called. Little beds and they plant flowers and then depending on which block you're on, some, some of them are, you know, really fancy and beautiful. So uh, I have, you know, thousands, countless uh, millions of photographs of those <laughs> little flowers at the foot of new york trees so that's i I love that you can put them on plant hub (laughs) (laughs) exactly that's right i have designs on them (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i think that's that's what i what i like about that answer too is that it's it can be very easy like you know obviously i have probably an idea of what's a you know, space that i love and in a in a place that i would love to visit but what i like about yours is that it's there's so many possibilities for that, that you could, you know, just walking down New York, you can, you know, just see those, but you could also find that in somebody's backyard and it's a space that, um, anybody can find. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, it's not someplace that you can only go and experience if you, you have the ability to do so that, that pretty much anybody can, can have some kind of a flower garden. And so I like like that answer for that reason. It's also the space where, you know, human, design and labor meets the generative capacity Mm. of the rest of the world and you know that co-creation um no gardens without humans but also without the 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 plants and things that that make them up too so one of my favorite books is uh, robert pogue harrison's book on gardens on the history of gardens the history and imagination of gardens such a beautiful book yeah Right. Well, thank you so so much for for joining us. It's I wish we had a lot more time to just 
talk for hours and hours and hours, but um, this has been, this has been really, really great. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. I've, I've enjoyed it very much. Time just flew by. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. This has been another episode of EcoCast, the official podcast of Asley. Uh, If you have uh, an episode idea in mind you want to share your work or you want to hear us to reach out and and contact somebody and try and get them on the show you can email us at asley.ecocast at gmail.com or you can get a hold of us on twitter where our handle is at asley underscore ecocast um, if you want to, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at B Galm. That's B E Galm, G A L M. Uh, Gemma, if you want to share yep. your. And I am at GeoWrites, G E O W R I T E S. Yeah. And uh, where can people check out some of your work, Yuna? Um, just on my website, I guess. Oh, Dear Climate, DearClimate.net. Dearclimate.net, yeah, check that yeah. out. Find some oh. find some funny ones. <laughs> I don't have any Twitter or anything. Oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, great. Well, thank you all so much, and until next time, we'll see you later. Thank you, Yuna. Bye. Bye. Bye.